All right, if you'd like to turn with me to uh, Romans 8.26, that will be uh, the text I'll be preaching from today. Um, in my youth and f- fool- foolishness, I thought I'd do verse 26, 27, 28, but uh, apparently that was too much for me. So, <laughs> so we'll be in verse 26. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the rest of your Sabbath day. And we pray, Father, that uh, we lay our cares and our concerns down now and and rest in your word, and in your wisdom, and in your grace. Uh, you know, Father, where each one of us are at in this room, you know what we need to hear. Um, and I pray, Father, that you, you give us that message. Uh, meet us here, strengthen us, Father, that we may um, lift our hearts up to you in, in prayer, and in song, and truly commune with you, Father, as you've called us to do. Uh, we thank you for your Son. We thank you, Father, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that he uh, works in us now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I, was, I had an experience recently at a prayer meeting with a, a bunch of Christians, and, and there was a very um, nice lady there, a friend, a friend of mine, a co-worker, actually, and, and she was praying, she, she was making a prayer request. And she had some pain, and she didn't know what that was about. And so she wanted us to pray specifically that she wouldn't have surgery. That was the thing she wanted us to pray for. So, okay, we, we write that down. It seems legitimate. Um, she explained her schedule, and, and clearly surgery didn't fit into the schedule. Um, but, but I was suddenly overcome with this idea that what if, what if that was exactly what she needed? Um, so then I didn't really know. I was really conflicted, <laughs> uh, conflicted about what to pray. And this was like a month and a half ago. So... Literally two days later, I, I was reading the letters of C.S. Lewis, a good book my wife got me for Christmas. And, and C.S. Lewis is writing to a friend, and he says, you know, when I'm in a really bad spiritual way, I have to resort to words and prayer. And, and that seems so nonsensical to me. When he's not doing well spiritually, he uses words. Um, even for him, that seemed a little strange. So th- this got me thinking. Uh, about prayer, and, and most of you know, recently my, my poor wife was, was in the ER, and, um, and that really taught me I, <laughs> I don't know anything about prayer. So, you know, because there she is, and you want her to just get up out of the bed and go home, um, but, but, you know, that's what I want. That's what she wants. So, so that's what, uh, how we got here today, talking about um, prayer. And, and the name of the sermon is, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, I needed this lesson very badly, and, and I, think, I think we all do. Um, James 4.3 says, We ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly, because we spend it on our passions. James tells us we are asking about our passions. And because we are focused on ourselves, God doesn't answer our prayers. Our prayers are often self-centered. They're self-indulging. They're monologues. I can say that most of the time, that's exactly how I would describe my prayers. Self-indulgent monologues. We don't come to the Father in our weakness, admitting our ignorance. We prattle on and on about our own desires. We come in our strength and ask God to rubber stamp whatever it is we have planned. There is a wrong way to pray and a right way to pray. God's promises about prayer are fantastic. I think most of us have heard them before. Knowing how to pray the right way seems very important to the Christian life. 1 John 4.3 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, okay, 
anything according to his will he hears us. See, there's the rub. We often like to come, we remember the first part, right? Come and ask him anything. Okay, cool. Um, I would like a bigger house and a jet ski, uh, and I would like to leave this ER room, and I don't want to have surgery on Tuesday because I'm busy. And, and so we come and we ask anything. We forget the, the other part, though, about it being according to his will. That, that's the part that we often leave out. We don't have God's will in mind when we pray, very often, because we don't know what his will is. <laughs> it seems logically uh, to make a lot of sense. We know that, um, what our will is, and so we spend our prayers on our own passions. This is exactly what James is getting at, right? I know what I want, and so I will go to God, who said, ask anything, and I'll tell him exactly what I want. And that's how my prayers get spent on my own passions. See, we are a jumble of emotions and burdens and fears and worries, a jumble of expectations, desires, hopes, and aspirations. Our prayers are full of words without wisdom. We treat prayer like a time to speak, a time to let God know what we need, what we want to have happen, about our plans that we would like him very much, if you please, to approve. We don't pray according to God's will, and so we pray wrongly. We need to learn the right way to pray. So our text this morning is Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. To pray in line with God's will, we have to come to prayer embracing our weakness and our lack of understanding so that the Holy Spirit himself will fill our mouths with utterances that are, in fact, pleasing to God, that are what God will listen to. The first aspect of effective prayer, the first thing that we all need to know, is that we need to embrace our weakness. Now, what does that mean? Well, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The assumption here is we are weak. When it comes to our relationship with God, the first thing to embrace and understand is our weakness. Now, this is a really difficult thing to accept for most of us, um, especially in our youth and our health. I'm pretty fit. I'm a little overweight, but a pretty fit guy, 34. I'm not really that weak. Um, you know, just this morning, my kids were talking about how strong I am. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this is talking about. Right? But we have to understand, right, we don't go through periods of weakness. That's how we often think about it. Okay, I'm going to go to surgery. I'm going to be weak for a while. Uh, I heard, you know, we all do that. As soon as you smash your finger and you can't use it, right, that makes you very weak. You suddenly realize how frail you are. Okay, we don't go through periods of weakness, though. We go through periods of heightened weakness. We live in a state of weakness. We exist in a state of weakness. It's inherent in us. We're creatures. We're made. We are finite, and no matter what, the triumph we are currently experiencing, no matter the spiritual victories, no matter the professional successes, the familial joys, or how full our tables are, the reality is we always, constantly, as creatures, exist in a state of weakness. Why? Because we struggle with sin that overcomes us every day. We are clothed in perishable bodies that can be brought low by a microscopic bug that you can't even see that has annoyed me since I was a child. I can't even fight against it. Right? I touch something that's dirty, I put it in my hand in my mouth, and bam, strong Mike is down on the floor. Right? We are clothed in perishable bodies. The things of this world, okay? its treasures, its buildings, its accolades, its work, will all cease to exist. 
Okay, I don't care what you build, I don't care how well you build it. A couple thousand years from now, they'll be digging out of the sand and there will not be much left. And no one will remember you. That, that's, that's the frailty in which we exist. That's sobering, right? Nobody likes to think about that. Make that a poster on your wall. That's depressing to a certain extent. <laughs> this is the human condition in which we live, though. It's not all, though. It's not all. When, what we are dealing with today is what we are praying for. The cares and worries, the trials and problems, the things that we bring before God are extremely heavy. They're heavy things, very heavy. Who can lift the soul of their child and all its uncertainties and all of your aspirations about it? Who can lift that up? Who can bear the weight of doubt about the cross? Who can carry the fear of cancer? These are weighty things that we come in prayer about. Our finances, the health of our body, the purity and passion of our worship, as Dean recently admonished us to pray for, these things are weighty. They are big. They are heavy. But this is not a surprise to God. He made us this way. This is how he made us. And he provides what we lack. That's how it always works. He doesn't tell you to do something and then not provide for you the, the very thing you need to do it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is our weakness. That's what he's all about. That's why he exists in our lives. He is the helper, as Jesus told us in John 16, 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. St. Paul instructs us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. St. Paul declares in Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of God's glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. That is the Spirit's ministry. Jesus commands us to do things like love one another the way he loved us. Right? Love your wife the way I loved you. Okay. Um, I'm too weak. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Okay, God asks us to do God-sized things. Right? God can hold the world in his hand. We can't. But imagine for a moment he said, hold the world in your hand. I command you this day to hold the world in your hand. <laughs> well, uh, that's nice. Um, but unless you give my arm strength to do it, I can't. Right? The things God commands us to do require God-like strength. We can't do them ourselves. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is all the strength we need. We are commanded to pray. Prayer is a central element of our ministry, both to one another and to the world. It's essential to our own sanctification, and we need strength and power to do it. We sin. We doubt. We grow weary of asking the same thing over and over and over and over. Anybody tired of that? I'm tired of that. It's like carrying a 50-pound weight around all the time. Just, I'm too weak to do it. Prayer is an exercise in humility. You can't do the things God has called you to do without him. God provides, therefore, what we lack. What the Spirit does is help. It says in verse 26, he helps us. What does that mean, helps? Well, this word actually means to come to the aid of, to share the burden of, It means the Holy Spirit is together with us in our weakness. The Spirit is not passive. He's active. 
He's active in, in each one of us. We come with our weakness. We come with our load, and he grabs the other end. He grabs hold of it. The Spirit is full of compassion. Compassion means to make someone else's burdens your burdens. Okay? That's what the Spirit's all about. That's why he's here. He's inside of you to make your burdens his burdens. Imagine that praying for your spouse or a friend is like carrying a giant couch upstairs, right? You're standing there at the bottom of the stairs. It's you and the couch. Unless somebody comes and grabs the other end, you're not ever going to get the couch up the stairs. Uh, You could be foolish and attempt to it, like I have on a number of occasions. And uh, even young backs can only handle so much, right? But this is how we we treat prayer, carrying a, a giant couch upstairs. What the Spirit does is he comes and he grabs the other end. And he's not the guy at the work party that maneuvers himself cleverly somehow to get the light end of everything. Um, I'm usually that guy, right? <laughs> if, if there's a, a Stairmaster, I'm going to be on the light end of the Stairmaster. Right? If there's a bureau, I'm going to be on the end with no drawers. I just guarantee it. But that's not how he does it. Okay? He takes the heavy part. He, he lifts enough of the pressure off of you. Right? Have you ever felt... When you're helping somebody move, like strong people, like Justin, when he helps me, it's like this thing's carrying itself up these stairs. It's like I don't even, <laughs> I don't even need to be here. That's what it's like. Okay, this is what it's like to have the Spirit enter into our burdens and help us carry them. It's almost like they're carrying themselves. Okay, he gets under the burden and relieves the pressure. In Psalm 89:21, God promises. He promises all of his servants. Okay, this is universal. It's everybody. My hand will sustain you. Surely my arm will strengthen you. And his arm is the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it's here inside of our hearts. This is very humbling. This is very humbling. And this is actually difficult for me to hear. Because I don't like this kind of weakness. I don't. We have a hard time hearing this kind of message because we have high views of our own ability. We don't think of ourselves as weak. We don't think of ourselves as needy. Weakness isn't a phase, though. We all accept help when we're sick. I love it when my wife is, like, bustling around with soup and my blankie and, you know, a hot water bottle. I love that. But that's when I need it, right? That's a phase. Everybody goes through that phase, but that's not what we're talking about here, okay? What, what we need to admit, what we need to embrace is that we're weak all the time. There's never a point where we're not. Our wealth and our health often cause us to approach prayer as a mere duty, right? We're not weak. We got it all figured out. Pockets full of money. Wifey and I are doing pretty well. The kids aren't making too much noise. Thank you, Father, for your abundance of blessing. Amen. And we move on, right? There's our prayer. Ten seconds. How many of you, how many of you feel like your prayer life is meager? It's stale. It's cold. It's repetitive. Well, how often do you draw near to the throne of grace in all your creaturely weakness? How often do you crawl up to it? We're used to walking up boldly to it, but how often do we go creeping? Because we can barely get off the floor because what we're carrying is so heavy. That's the kind of weakness we need to get to embrace, wrap our heads around. St. Paul based his entire ministry on this idea. This is is his modus operandus. This is how he conducted himself. Through his weakness before God, the power of the Holy Spirit was not just unleashed in him, it was unleashed on the known world. 
St. Paul taught this over and over. In 2 Corinthians 11.30, he said, if I must boast, if I'm going to boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He boasted in his weakness. How many of you guys do that? I don't do that. Okay, let me just start right there. Right? I like prayer meetings because I can talk about how great I'm doing. (laughs) Right? Often in my own heart. Thank you, Lord, so much for all the good stuff you've given me and how awesome life is. Amen. Goodbye. Okay, he boasts in his weakness. Because when you boast in your weakness, people know they need to pray for you. Boasting in your weakness increases prayer because it increases your need. Okay, when we pretend like we're fine, when we pretend like we got it all figured out, when we walk around acting like everything is just peachy keen and we can carry the world in our hand, very little prayer gets done. Very little prayer gets done. Very little ministry gets done. Okay, St. Paul boasted in his weakness. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't hide it. He was honest about it and operated out of a state of creaturely weakness. It was all about being a creature, all about being weak. <clears throat> in the Hall of Faith, as it's known in Hebrews 11, where he talks about all the great saints that have gone before, in verse 34 we read, they were made strong out of weakness. Okay, Their strength came from their weakness. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's weakness was the means by which God's strength poured into him. Paul was humble enough to admit that it was the Spirit's intercession, the Spirit's helping that gave him success. Romans 15.19, by the power of the Spirit of God, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. My work is complete. At that point, he preached everywhere, in the Roman, right, the word of God had gone out everywhere in Rome, everywhere in the known world. Okay, that kind of accomplishment came because he was too weak to do it himself. He preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, surviving mobs, stoning, shipwreck, conspiracies against his life, hunger, thirst, uncertainty, fear, extreme physical deprivation, spiritual travails of the most intense kind. He carried the weight of his ministry all over the known world because the Spirit was on the other end helping him carry it. The broader principle here applies to every area of our spiritual lives. Okay, Really what I'm talking about isn't just prayer, but we're going to bring it back here to prayer. James Usher, a 17th century parish, uh, parish Puritan? No, no such thing. Irish Puritan, listed some of the infirmities that comprise our need of the Spirit's help in prayer. This is just a few he wanted us to note. Roving imaginations, inordinate affections, dullness of spirit, weakness of faith, coldness of feeling, faintness in asking, weariness in wanting, too much passion in our own matters, and too little compassion in other men's miseries. Those are just some of the problems we face when we're attempting to pray. The spirit comes and quiets the mind, though. He affirms our faith. He refreshes the affections. He brings to mind those who need our prayers and helps us in all our weakness to lift up the heavy burdens for which we pray. Okay, the chief reason we do not pray and do not want to pray and tr- treat prayer so lightly is our lack of humility regarding our weakness, if we're honest with ourselves. There are besetting sins in our life, though, that we're fighting against in our own strength and losing. We need to embrace our weakness and from that weakness cry out to God. Okay? That's the position in which we are in when we begin to cry out to him. Weakness. Okay. 
And what does God say? What does he promise? I'm going to go back to this. It's all about what he's promised to do and us understanding that with absolute clarity. 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You're actually resisting the Holy Spirit when you walk in your own strength. His power is perfected in our weakness. We're resisting him otherwise. We're resisting his ministry in our lives if we go about in our own power and not from a state of weakness. Okay, and what is our chief weakness? He luckily provides it for us. Romans 8.26, he continues, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now let me tell you how angry I was when I read that. What do you mean I don't know? I've read the Bible. This is ridiculous. (laughs) I know what to pray for. Pray that God is uh, glorified and... You know, he's glorified. Wait wait a minute, I don't know what I'm praying. I don't know what to pray for. Right, because it's not just about knowing the word of God. We know the word of God. I mean, so we know in a general sense what he wants of it. But then you get down to the nitty-gritty, and you see, you know, the flat tire. You see the angry um, spouse. You see the kids who won't obey. You see all I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Should be our response. Okay, we have way too high a view of our own understanding of our own circumstances. We don't know because we are supposed to pray according to the will of God himself. But who knows the mind of God? I don't know the mind of God. None of us know the mind of God. What we know is what's before us, the circumstances of life. We are talking about our lives. Who doesn't usually have some idea about their own life and what they would want to have happen, right? I know, and I pray that way. The problem is I'm supposed to pray according to the will of God, and I don't know what that is. This is where the real tension in prayer comes from. This is really the difficult part. I know that surgery is painful and dangerous, and I know that money is good. Okay, please don't give me surgery. Give me money, right? (laughs) Please take away the surgery and replace it with $50,000. Seems legit. God wants, you know, we go down to verse 28. He wants everything to work out for good. Surgery is bad. Money, good. Amen. Right? <laughs> right? This is what I love. I, analyzing my own prayers has been so funny. It's been a very funny. I feel like I, I start observing myself doing it, and it's like I'm, I'm offering helpful feedback. Now, that was really good what you did yesterday. Good job. How about you do that again and add a little more and a little less surgery and a little more money, and it's, it's great. Okay? We know... Um, so we approach God with folksy wisdom. That's, what, that's what, how I describe how I approach it, my folksy wisdom. And actually what I go to him with are well-reasoned arguments, cleverly disguised as requests. That's how I approach it. Right? I work out, this is what ought to happen, here we go. Okay, so I feel like I'm making a request, but really what I've done is I've worked out in my own mind what ought to happen. I don't know about you guys, but that's the process for me. That's how I come to it. Okay, Lord... Please, give my wife more patience. Take this pain in my hip away. Let me get that raise. I have a lot to do, so take this burden from me. This is, this is usually what my prayer sounds like. But what if your wife shouldn't be so patient with your sins and your idols? What if the thing she needs is less patience? What if the pain in your hip is a means for you to embrace your weakness, like I talked about in the first point? What if you're going to spend the money foolishly? What if God's plans for you are more important than your plans for yourself? The problem is we are all working with very little data. 
with conflicting desires and jumbled motives. We don't know what to ask for in accordance with God's will. Okay? Now imagine for a moment. This is what it's like. Imagine you're leaving your house for work or going to the store, wives, and you open the door, and there is a lion in your, your walkway. Okay? There's a big, giant lion, like a real lion. Now, that is an unexpected and sudden circumstance, right? Now, why is the lion there? Well, who knows? Well, let's take a guess. Let's take some guesses. To prevent you from leaving and falling into some greater danger. Oh, that's good. I like that. To take your life and send you on to heaven. Well, not so good. So that you can slay him and grow in courage and strength. I like the idea of that one, but not that one so much. Because he escaped from the uh, circus, which is in town, and all you need to do is go in your house and call animal control. Isn't this going to be a funny story later? Okay? These are all possibilities. This is just four of them. I mean, who knows why the line is there? But when it comes to the giant circumstance in your walkway as you're trying to go to work, I mean, this is exactly what it's like. Right? In, in this story, it's a little more amusing, but it's, all, it's true of us. Who knows why the line is there? Who knows why you get cancer? Who knows why you don't have money? Who knows why you get fired from a job? Who knows why you're fighting with your wife constantly right now? Okay? God knows, but you don't. It's impossible for us to have perfect clarity about our own, own circumstances. We don't know what to ask for, and we have far too high a view of our own understanding of our situation. We are not competent, competent judges of our own condition. Ecclesiastes 6.12 brings a lot of light here. <laughs> for who knows what is good for man while he lives? Super helpful. Thank you. Who knows? If you were to ask me what's good for me, I have lots to say about it, but who really knows? I don't know. If I would have said what was good for me five years ago, it wouldn't have been what has happened. And so clearly I don't know anything. I mean, this is... <laughs> is the sad reality that uh, our, our high view of ourselves has to embrace. We ourselves do not know what to pray for. This is hard for us to hear because we are full of desires, we are full of needs and wants and hopes and fears and aspirations and dreams. We think we know what we truly actually do not know. We think we know what we don't know. As we grow in the faith and learn things, we get a sense of what to expect from God, what's expected of us, the cause and effect in, inherent in life, but, this, but we struggle against our flesh, don't we? No matter how wise we get, really, we struggle with our flesh. We like safe, we like security, we like control. And if you don't, you're kind of strange, actually. Right? We should like security and safety and control. We naturally do. And to admit that we are weak and that in that weakness we don't know how to discern God's will and the jumble of our lives is actually really difficult for us. The weakness in ourselves should give us confidence in God. Okay? The weakness in ourselves should give us confidence in God. Our lack of understanding should turn our minds toward his seat of providence, his seat of power, his seat of lordship that is above us. Okay? He's above the sun. This is why I love Ecclesiastes. He sees it all. Down here below the sun, you can't get a perspective on things. All you can do is see it this way. He's up above it. He can see down. That should give us a great deal of confidence in him and very little in ourselves. Now, this is also an interesting thing here. St. Paul says in Romans, we don't know what to pray for. I'm sorry, what? He doesn't say you, the reader, doesn't know. He says we. He includes himself. Isn't this the guy that wrote the New Testament? <laughs> Isn't this the guy, as I just said, went all over um, the known world preaching the gospel? What does he mean? He doesn't know. 
Right? This is the very weakness that I was talking about. He doesn't know. Thus, he was able to accomplish so much because he went to the one who did. He went to the one who did. Thomas Boston, an 18th century Scottish minister, said, There is so much that remains of corruption in the best of us that it is hard even in our prayers to keep within the compass of what is agreeable to God. We are so weak that in God's dispensations, many times we take our friends to be foes and call what is for our good evil, as Jacob did when he said, all things are against me. All things are against you. You are correct, Jacob, except God's working through that to bless everybody. When we kneel to pray, there is so much welling up from within us that it is hard to discern what is the thing to say and what is the thing not to say. What is the right thing to want? We need to slow down. We need to slow down. We need to have less faith in our own understanding and grow in humility as we come to God. Our mouths should be um, far more full of questions than answers. Okay? They should be far more full of questions than answers. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I said it before. He helps us. Well, how does he help us specifically? 1 Corinthians 2.11. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Well, if only we could get access to him. Oh, wait. We do. (laughs) We do, and he's right here. He's right here. What does God want? I don't know. Let me ask. Spirit? Right? I don't pray that way. I have never prayed that way in my life. I go and I tell God what I think. I never stop and say, wait, whoa, whoa. What? What's the will of God right now? There is a huge line in my front yard. Do I get the gun? Do I get the phone? Right? Are you telling me something? You want me in heaven? I've done my, done my time here. What? We don't know what, how to make sense of things. So the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. Okay? Teaching is his ministry. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Ephesians 3, 18. says that the Spirit lives in our hearts. He lives there to do this. Give us the strength to comprehend. Okay? He gives us the power, the ability to comprehend. Now, comprehension is more than mere facts. It's more like reasoning or logic. Okay? I see this, and I see this, and I da, 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 okay, Spirit, what do you think? And, okay, I'm beginning to see now how God works. Pain is good for me, <laughs> right? Going down is the way up. I'm beginning to see now. Thank you, Spirit. I'm beginning to comprehend what's going on in my own life. We all need to embrace our weakness and go to the Spirit who dwells here and say this, Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We need to stop taking the lead in prayer and start following. Now, how does this work? Um, I don't know. Goodbye. (laughs) This is like a student recently asked me, if God made everything out of words, well, how? The Bible says he did it, so... Right? This is one of those things that's actually really difficult to understand. Um, the Spirit fills our mouths with utterances that are pleasing to God. Okay, How exactly, I'm, I'm going to go so far with that, and then I'm not going to go any further because I'm a little terrified. Okay, He fills our mouths, though. 
Three times in Romans 8, St. Paul tells us that the Spirit intercedes and fills our mouths with utterances that are pleasing to God, that represent what's really going on in our hearts, that accurately reflect his will. Okay? Romans 8.26. This is the verse we're preaching. I'm going to start there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there's a bit of confusion in all the books I read about this, about who's groaning. Is the spirit groaning? Is he causing us to groan? Do we just stand there passively and he moans out loud to God? I don't. I think the context of Romans 8 actually helps us with this. So let's look at two key verses in this section of Romans 8 that will help us understand what's going on. In verse 15, back up in 15, we read, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? It's by the Holy Spirit that our mouth cries out, Abba, Father. So don't go, this is going to him in your weakness, going to him in your lack of understanding, seeking him to intercede for you on behalf of pray, prayer, fills your mouth with the thing you're supposed to say. That's what's going on here. By whom? By whom? We cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, now you go down to verse 23, and this is where it gets really interesting. We read, verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Okay? We have him, and so we groan inwardly. And now, in the context there, they're talking about hope. Okay? And the world and man is crying out because we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ you know, take away the futility of the world and the sin and the illness and everything. And so we're the earth is crying out for salvation. Okay, well, because we have the Spirit by whom we cry, Father, Abba, Abba, Father, we also inwardly groan. Okay? Our heart is sick. We see the world. We see what's going on. We see cops shooting people in the back. We see people who are hungry. We uh, watch the news, and we see how many children are dying of AIDS because their parents are very wicked in South Africa. We see all the things that are going on. We see ISIS. We see videos of Christians or being beheaded on, the co- on a nice-looking coast in Egypt, okay, and we groan inwardly. And that's because the Spirit is there, and he's teaching us about Christ. He's teaching us about righteousness. He's teaching us about sin. And because we see it with our eyes, we groan inwardly. Okay, so he fills our mouth with Abba Father. He fills our hearts with groanings. And then we go back okay, to verse 26. And we read that he, f- he fills our hearts, or he fills us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, he is causing us to groan. He's causing us, he's filling us with utterances too deep for words. Okay, that's where it's, it's him, but this is always how God works. He works in us. Internally now, he's going through, checking the heart, checking the mind. He knows the will of God. He draws out what ought to be prayed for puts it in our mouth that's how it works now that's very strange that's very strange to me i like to think i reason out what god wants i know right i read you should see my bookshelf at home i have a pretty high view of what i know (laughs) and yet i need the spirit to go in here in this jumbled confused i desire this i desire that i want that what's good what's bad and he finds the thing consistent with his will, and he puts it in my mouth. Okay, that's a very different way of praying. Very different. 
I don't think I'm really ready for that. That sounds scary. I don't know what's in there. In, in the process of doing this, I found out quite a lot is there that I wouldn't have thought to pray for. Because I go to him and I say, Lord, teach me to pray. And I listen. And something comes and I pray for it. And I'm like, where did that come from? I had no idea. I had no idea. And turns out I don't. <laughs> right? I don't know the will of God. I don't pray for what I ought to. Okay, the Holy Spirit is our advocate in prayer. Now, we are weak and don't know what to pray for. An advocate is like a lawyer. Okay, advocates go and represent you in the court, but they also teach you what to say in your own defense. This is what an advocate does. He tells you what the court says, he tells the court what you say, and he tells you what to say. This is how the Spirit is working in our hearts. Out of the jumbled mess, confused motivations, the uncertainties and frailty, the Spirit brings forth utterances too deep for words. Out of the chaos, he brings clarity. In our weakness, in our weakened state, the Spirit within us is drawing us into fellowship and communion with the triune God. It was such a unity and with such power that words aren't necessary. This is what I love about this. He knows the mind of God. He knows our heart because he's there. He gives us the utterance. And it's in such, have you ever, has this ever happened? My, this happened to me the other day with my wife. She goes to say something and she kind of jumbles for a moment. I'm like, no, I get you. Right? I can just tell where she's going. That's what it's like in God in heaven. He, all he's got to hear is the, uh, uh, and he, I get you. I, get, I understand. Right? That sounds like nonsensical, but that's what we're talking about here. He doesn't just use words. He brings to mind that thing that you did, and you cry out in words that can't be expressed in English. And he says, yes, I know. I know. That's prayer. When we surrender to the Spirit in our weakness, he intercedes by teaching us, using our minds and our hearts as lesson plans, as the will of God that he knows is a lesson plan. He teaches us what truly ought to be said to God. And it, he doesn't need words to do it. He gives you the right moan. He gives you the right utterance. He gives you the right cry. And it's in such cons- it's so consistent with the will of God, it doesn't have to be in English. Okay? And that, to me, is very good news. That is the good news that we ought to proclaim today to, our, to one another, to our children, to ourselves. He hears us. He gets it. And all, all that's required of you is weakness, and you have plenty of that. And all that's required is a lack of understanding, and we have plenty of that. And so we ought to have quite a lot of effective prayer, if you know what I'm saying. Carnal, cold, wandering, graceless, and self-centered prayers are all too common among us. Okay? It's encouraging to know that although we will always labor in these infirmities, these struggles, the Spirit is ever to be trusted to help us fight against them, both in teaching us God's will and drawing us into communion with him in prayer. Prayer is a burden for the most mature among us, for all of us. I want us to go and pray with a simpler and more honest approach. We avoid prayer. We don't give it the time we ought. It's hard to determine what to pray for. We think we know. We ask and miss, and therefore our prayers are not answered. Okay, there's too much of ourselves in them. We grow weary of asking for the same things. We think our sin disqualifies us, so we stay, remain quiet. We are not praying rightly. 
We have a pile of kids tugging at our leg and world piled up and work piled up before us. When do I have time to sit and listen to God? You're insane. Do you have any idea what I have going on? But the spirit dwells here. I just, you don't have to haul your cookies to the temple. You don't have to go find the tabernacle. He's here. And so all you have to do is say, Lord, teach me to pray. I am weak and I do not know. Teach me to pray and listen. Listen. Prayer has to be more of a dialogue and less of a monologue. We need to place ourselves under the power of the Spirit within us. Coming in our weakness, admitting we don't know what to pray for, we begin praying with a statement about our condition, honest statement about our condition. God wants honesty. Tell him, I am weak and I do not know. I am weak and I do not know. And listen, the advocate will tell you what to pray for. He will. Prayer is a conversation. Okay? No, no spouse, no husband and wife that I know of go around with one-sided conversations. Imagine the relationship, right? I have full access to my wife more than any other human being on the earth. I call her, I text her, I talk to her. And what if it was all the time, tell, 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 tell. Do this and do that. We're going on a date, but you're just going to sit there and I'm going to tell you all my dreams and aspirations. <laughs> just imagine. Oof. That's ugly. Okay? And yet that's what our relationship to God is. Okay? All metaphors break down, by the way. And the relationship we have with him, on the other side of the conversation is the guy who planned it. Is the guy who said, this is what's going to happen. Who said, go and do this. And I put my spirit. He's the one who has all power. He is the one who made everything. He is the one who decreed everything. And we don't listen. We, we would rather talk. And so prayer needs to be a conversation. Okay, embrace that weakness. Admit you don't know. Ask him. Ask him. But listen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would show us in our own life how to apply this message that you've given us today. Don't fill us uh, with confidence in ourselves, having heard this. But, Father, show us our sin. Work in us and compel us and fill our mouths with utterances that are pleasing to you. Father, let us embrace all of us, every person here. Embrace our weakness and admit we do not understand. And turn to the Spirit in our hearts and ask, Lord, teach me to pray. I pray, Father, that you would bless all of us in this. That we would go from here and be strengthened in this. That we would have all the confidence in the world in you because we should. You are a good and a holy God. And we thank you. Amen.